Let's begin by giving Jesus all the praise. Come on, he's better than that. I know. Wasn't that worship incredible? Yeah. You know, when worshiping on the front row, I I'm a little I'm a little different than many of you. I've got a different role. Uh, and so like I've got so many emotions going through my heart as I as I worship our Savior uh, in in that moment. But I had I I felt like a proud father watching and listening to our our, our team just do an excellent job. I'll get there. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then, as, I, as I'm proud of how excellent they were, it reminded me of how, how excellent God is. And the reason we do things with excellence is because we serve a more than excellent God. And we're in a series where we're talking about eva- uh, evaluating our values, and excellence is one of our values. That's why that was so excellent. We, we prioritize it, and that's not the value we're talking about today. But I just have to stop and say to our team, well done. Because it wasn't about your voices or your music, your instruments. It was about the excellent king that we serve. And that's my job, to help you see that the reason we're excellent is because he's already excellent. Whew. All right. If I can't preach now, I don't know. I should probably find something else to do. Uh, my name is Adam Harold, and I am always this emotional. Uh, at some point, somewhere, sometime, it always shows up. And, uh, and, and what's great about it is sometimes it shows up in you guys. Like, you guys, some, some, my favorite thing that happens sometimes on Sundays is people will walk out, and they're like, I'm not even this emotional. Like, what happened to me? Um, but thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you fill out that card, I, I really do just want to send you a card in the mail to say thank you for, for your time. Uh, my wife, Tanya, and I have the privilege of leading this community called The Refuge. And um, we're just, listen, we're just going to be real. That's, that's all we're going to do. And that's what you can expect uh, here today. Um, do me a favor. Tell your neighbor... You're glad to see them. Let them know that you see them and you're, you're glad they're here. Let them know that you've got tissues for them when they cry later. All right, just, just do some, some mingling a little bit. Whew. 
So last week we began a series that we're calling Evaluate. We're evaluating our values uh, because any healthy person and any healthy organization will take a moment at some point in their life, and usually it's the first of the year, um, and, and just stop and say, who am I? And what, what do I believe? And, and, and so that's what we're doing. We're, we just want to be as healthy as possible as an organization, and we want you to be as healthy as possible. And so um, we're evaluating our values and a series that we're calling Evaluate. We've got five cultural values at the refuge. You can see these um, outside of our building in the, the, on the glass as you look into our middles room. Number one, the first value that, um, and, and the reason they're in the order they are is because they're the order that we came up with them, really. Uh, there's no real reason for the order that they're in, but the first, uh, the first value that we're talking about today is we will be dreamers and risk takers, not settling for our dreams to remain dreams. The second one is that we'll be known what we're for and not what we're against. The third one is that we'll be in our city and for our city, fiercely loving people that we haven't even met yet. We talked about that last week. And then uh, the next one is we will laugh as much as we breathe. We'll cry as much as we breathe as well, right? We're, we're not afraid of emotion. We're, we're going to laugh as much as we breathe. We're going to, uh, as hard as we can stand and a little louder than normal. And then our, our last one is that we'll be excellent in all things because excellence honors God and inspires people. Hopefully you felt inspired by that, that excellent worship set this morning. And that's, that's, that's our goal. So, um, last week, we jumped ahead a little bit, and we talked about we will be in our city and for our city, fiercely loving people that we haven't even met yet. And the reason for that is because we've got a major event coming up. It's our biggest outreach event of the year. It's in partnership with the town of Wyndham because that's what you do when you're in the city and for the city. You partner with the things that the town is doing. And so um, on June the 24th, Wyndham is um, hosting an event at the high school called Wyndham Summerfest. And uh, last week, I talked about how we partner with them every year. And um, we put on an inflatable park, and it's, it's just, it's, it's a blast. It's, it, it, it's really a lot of fun. Um, I encourage you to sign up. I encourage you to give to help us cover the cost of those inflatables. Um, and Jeff did an amazing job. I don't even have to tell you where to go to sign up because you've already got the QR code. You've already signed up, and we're ready to rock and roll, right? Um, we need, listen, for that day, it's only 110 people total. Um, if we have one person per hour, uh, sorry, two people per hour per inflatable, um, it's only 110 people. Last Sunday, I mean, there's more than 110 people in this room right now. And so last Sunday we had, we, we set a record last Sunday with our, our church attendance. And we had a, just over 400 people on, at church on Sunday. What I'm saying, I'm not saying that to pat ourselves on the back and to celebrate that. Um, but I'm saying it should be no problem to have 110 people sign up to, to man inflatables. And um, I ordered new T-shirts, and they're coming uh, by, the, by the time uh, Summerfest comes around. And so if you sign up, you get a shirt, and it's just a, a really good time. Um, this morning, 
what I want to talk to you about is the very first value that Ty and I sat down when we said, what do we want our church to look like? This was the first one that we came up with, and it was, we will be dreamers and risk takers, not settling for our dreams to remain dreams. Can I tell you something? When Ty and I wrote that, we were in the thick of dreaming. We had a dream inside of us that we would move to Maine and that we would start a church and that it would look absolutely nothing like it does right now. <laughs> like we had all of our ideas and we had all of our dreams and, and it looks, this looks nothing like it. It's, it's absolutely, in fact, I would say this looks so much better than it did. Because when you turn your dreams over to Jesus, he takes them and makes them way better than you could ever dream of them being. That's Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. I thought that was going to be like the primary text for today's message, Ephesians 3.20, that um, he can do infinitely more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's, what I, that's where I thought we were going. But let me tell you, this message took an absolute turn. And that's how I know when, when I prepare for Sunday morning and God takes it to a, in a direction that I didn't see coming, that's how I know it's from him. And I'm like, all right, God, what, 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 wherever you lead me, that's where I'll take this. And because of that, I believe that there is a, a message for each and every single one of you this morning. You can turn to John chapter 4. That's, this, that's the, the passage that we've committed to look at our, our values in. John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. You can follow along in today's note, with today's notes in the YouVersion Bible app. This is something that we put on every Sunday morning uh, for you. Uh, the screens tell you how to find it. If you don't have the YouVersion app, what are you doing, Right? You should, you should have that app. Every, every person, whether you follow Jesus or not, you should, um, you should have that, that app. Last Sunday, we began studying John chapter 4. And uh, one of the things that we said is in John 4, we see four values that Jesus had. Now, it's not just in John 4. It's throughout the entire New Testament. Jesus, Jesus displays these four values, number one, he was generational. Number two, he was intentional. Number three, he was biblical. And number four, he was relational. Generational, intentional, biblical, relational. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Out of the, the five values that we have, which one of these four values that Jesus uh, portrays, do you think that dreamers and risk takers not selling our dream to remain dreams falls under? I'll let you think about that, and then I'm going to, don't worry, you don't have to think too hard. I'm going to tell you eventually. I just like to give you something to hold on to, something to think about, something to process as we're talking about this this morning. Are you still with me? So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we're going to read that, but first we have to ask the Father to join the conversation. Let's do that. Dad, I just, 
I just thank you for who you are. You're so worthy of everything. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve all the glory. And Lord, we invite your worthiness and your wonder into this conversation this morning. My words are not powerful. Your words are. And so, God, I submit my tongue to you this morning. My heart, God, that the words that I say would proceed in my heart, that you would speak to the hearts of these people. God, I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John 4, 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump down and read 10 through 14. So, verse 1. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing, making more disciples than John. Through Jesus himself, though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Where did Jesus have to go through? Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noon. Jump down to verse 10 through 14. We know what happens in verses 6 through 10. A woman shows up who is a Samaritan going to get water at noontime, which wasn't the time that women usually went. She was going at that time because she was ashamed of who she was. And she shows up with a bucket to draw water, and Jesus asks her for a drink. The woman replies, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're not supposed to talk to me. And this is how Jesus replies in verse 10. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope and a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, let me ask another question. What do any of these verses have to say about being a dreamer and a risk taker, not settling for our dreams to remain dreams? Where did we read it? We didn't. It ain't there. It says nothing about being a dreamer or a risk taker on the surface. But this morning, we're going to dig a little deeper 
And in order to see that dreamers and risk takers don't, are, are in the story of the woman at the, at the well, you have to get out your shovel and you have to dig a little bit. This isn't on the surface. Did you bring your shovel? Look at your neighbor, said, I got mine. You got yours? Make sure you got it. Because we're going to dig a little bit deeper and we're going to discover that Jesus in this passage took a risk. Where did Jesus have to go through? Samaria. Verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was traveling to Galilee. Samaria was on the way to Galilee, but most Jews, anytime they would travel to Galilee, guess what? They took the long way. Anyone ever be traveling, like, probably in Boston? And the windows are down. It's a nice, warm day. And you get this feeling you're in the wrong hood. (laughs) Kids, roll up your windows. Lock the doors. That was Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria where he felt like maybe unsafe. In fact, his disciples, notice where his disciples are. They're not there. In fact, the scripture tells us that they're going to get food. <laughs> they, were, they were going to get food because they didn't want to be with Jesus because Jesus knew he had to take a risk. And he had an appointment with a woman who was living with a man that wasn't her husband, and she had already had five other husbands. But Jesus had an appointment with her, and he had to go through Samaria. Samaria was a place that Jews would often avoid, and if they went through, they would definitely lock their doors on their camels. He had to take a risk. That brings me to today's big idea. If I have one thing I want to communicate to you this morning, one thing, it would be this. Generational faith does not happen by accident. It only happens by taking risks. Generational faith doesn't happen by accident. It happens by taking Risk. The value that Jesus displays by going through Samaria is the value of being generational. Because he knew that the message that he came to deliver the world had to carry on. It had to go to the next generation. And the only way it would happen is if he goes through Samaria. So what is Generational faith. Generational faith is faith that is passed on to the next generation. And that generation, and that generation, and that generation. Now, my guess, and it's just a guess, is that most of the people in this room this morning would love to see the faith that you have passed on to your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. 
It's just a guess. But you're here this morning. You've given your time. And maybe some of you don't have that faith yet, but when you discover it, you will want it to go to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation because it will transform your life. If you allow it, but you have, to, you have to invite it in. You have to allow it in. And when you do, it will inspire you to take risks that will carry on to the next generation. But I have good news about those risks that you take to travel on to the next generation. The risks you take are calculated risks. A calculated risk is something that you can see the outcome in before you take it. The reason we can see the, 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 the things that happen, the results of our risk, is because they're all in God's word. We know what happens. When you take a risk to go through Samaria and you meet a woman at the well, she goes on and tells the whole town exactly what you did, what God did through you. And the whole town comes to know Jesus. That's generational. Jesus knew that he would have to take a risk to carry on to the next generation. Anytime I think about generational faith, I always go back to the ancient Hebrews. The ancient Hebrews studied this this prayer known as the Shema. It's found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can turn there. You can follow along in the notes. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4 through 9 is the Shema. And it says this. It's a prayer. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead and and as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you want to know how you pass your faith on to the next generation? There are three words smack dab in the middle of the Shema that we have to possess in order to carry our faith to the next generation. Three words, that's it. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Now, there's some compound words in there, right? But there are three. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. The problem with most people and the reason that faith doesn't get passed on to the next generation, you know what it is? We're not willing to commit ourselves wholeheartedly. You know why that's a problem? Because it was a problem for Israel too. It was a problem for the children of Israel that this was written to. They didn't commit themselves wholeheartedly. In fact, let me show you. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 through 5, it says this. Finally, the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give 
us a king to judge us like all other nations have. God's plan for Israel was always to be their king, but he wasn't good enough for them. He, they, they, wanted, they wanted someone else to be their king. They wanted to be given a king that they could follow, but that wasn't his plan for them. His plan was for them to be committed wholeheartedly to him, and it's the same exact way today. Every single person that exists, God wants to be our king. But we like to set up these things known as idols in our lives. We like to have other kings that we follow. Not committing ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus. And we have struggled with idols our entire life. Because it's hard to make Jesus the king of your life. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. So, to wrap this message up, I've got just three things. Three things that we can do to pass our faith on to the next generation, to produce generational faith. Three things. But before I get to those three things, let me say this loud and clear. The only risk you take to produce generational faith is summed up in three words. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Listen, I know that my big idea for today was, um, I'm going back in my notes to, to read it. Could you put that back up there so I don't have to look for it? You have to, this was our big idea. Generational faith doesn't happen by accident. It happens by taking risks. But if I were to sum up this message, it would just be three words. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. That's it. That's pretty easy to remember. I hope, I hope later on, later, next Sunday, I'll get a, a, a pop quiz next Sunday. <laughs> Not so much pop because I told you already. What did we learn last week, class? Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. That's it. My kids have finals this week. They wish their tests were going to be that easy. But the problem is, it's not. It's not easy. To surrender, full surrender, our lives and say, God, whatever you want from us, that's, that's what we want. It's the only risk that you take in producing generational faith. The problem is, it's a risk. But when your kids see it daily, when they see you make a change in your life, when they, when they witness it, it's not much of a risk. There's no risk with consistency. Woo! I didn't write that down. I didn't plan on saying it. That's how I know it's good. There's no risk with consistency. 
When you're consistent at obeying Jesus, your kids will see the difference. And then consistency, you know what else it is? Consistency is also reproducible. Your kids will be able to reproduce it and be able to say, this is what we did as a, as a family growing up. We went to church on Sunday, no matter what. Our schedule was church, then everything else. Consistency is key to committing yourselves wholeheartedly. Again, the problem is we have a hard time with it. So three things to wrap things up that you can do to produce generational faith. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Get out your phone. Get out your notes. Write it down. Number one, commit to live your identity in Christ. You commit to living your identity in Christ. Dad, commit to living your identity in Christ. Mom, commit to living your identity in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's my favorite verse. It's the verse that I write down in every card that I ever send out. It says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, he has become a new person. The old is gone and the new life has begun. It's a new identity. When you come to know Jesus, it is a new identity so that when you get to heaven someday, we will all get to heaven someday and we will all be asked the question of why should we let you in? I believe, I, you know what? I think we often portray that to be what it's going to be like. I believe we're going to get to the gates and, they're gonna be, and, and there's going to be no question. Why should I let you in? It's going to be welcome. I know you. Come on in. You look like Jesus, come on in. You look like our king, come on in. But the reality in this life is that some people aren't living in the identity that God has for them. And those people are far from God. And when they get to the pearly gates, there's not going to be a welcome come on in. And that breaks my heart. And that's why we do what we do, so that no one that ever darkens the doors of the refuge church will ever get to heaven, and, and they would say to them, we don't know you. And it has nothing to do with our church and everything to do with the Jesus that we serve. But we have to commit to living in our identity. Have you ever flown on an airplane? Let me, let me correct that question. Have you ever flown on an airplane and actually listened to the things that they say before you take off? And they say something like this. If we experience an unexpected decrease in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will fall down. If you are traveling with little ones, 
Make sure you put your mask on first and then put theirs on. You know why they do that? Because if you're not there to take care of the kids, they're not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they would. But it's because the children that you're traveling with, they, they depend on you. They're depending on you to, to take care of yourself, to, to put on your mask so that you can care for them. This is the same way. We have to live in our identity first so that our kids will see us doing it. It all depends on you. Put the pressure on you. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That should be our mantra. Number two. First, you got to commit to living your identity. Second, you have to commit to teaching your family who they are in Christ. Commit to teaching your family who they are in Christ. God loves them so much more than you do. So as you live in your identity with consistency, what you do is you teach them theirs. You teach them who they are. But you know the problem is? You know why we can't teach our family who they are in Christ? It's because we don't know Christ. We don't really know who Jesus is. In order to teach your family their identity in Jesus, you have to know who Jesus is. Do you know the best way to teach your family who they are in Christ? I, I believe this. I believe it's how God set it up. This isn't a sales pitch. But the best way to teach your family who they are in Christ is to serve him together. To serve him together. I had no idea that starting a church no idea when we started this that it would be the best way to teach my kids to serve Jesus and now every week my kids 15 and 17 they don't complain about having to get up at 6.30 on Sunday morning just like they have to on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for school. They don't complain about that. And then they come and they don't complain about having to go to church. You know why? Because they have a job to do here. And it has nothing to do 
with me being the pastor of this church. It's them, it's their choice. They choose to do it. But they see the results. They see you. They see what God is doing. Why? Because we give him the credit. It's not about us. I had no idea. When I, I said earlier, this church looks nothing like what we thought it would be. That, that's why I had no idea that Graham would be working with kids. <laughs> but he is. I don't no idea that Anna would be on the computer pushing the next button when it's time to sing the next song. No idea. God did. And I love looking at our dream team and seeing families serving God together. You know why I love it? Because those kids that are graduating high school today, they're not going to have a problem going to college and finding a church to get plugged into. You know why? Because they know their value in serving the King of Kings. But it doesn't happen by accident. I hope that at the end of this service, there are families in Seven Minute Head Start learning how you can get your family plugged in to serving the king of kings. Number three, the last thing. Commit to train others in their identity of Christ. Commit to train others in their identity of Christ. This is called discipleship. Train other people you know why you train other people in their identity of Christ? So that they can go on and train somebody else. The beauty of the story of the Samaritan woman was she went to the other, she went to the city. She received the living water and she went and she goes, come and drink this water that you'll, that'll never make you thirst again. Come and see, come and experience this man that told me everything I ever did and loved me anyway. We have to commit to discipleship. We have to commit to training others. I am so excited for the next, for, I'm, I'm so excited for the fall. This week, I'm hoping to sit down with Tanya and order some books that are gonna be a place going to be a playbook in discipleship. Because we have to start training people who you are in Christ. He will transform you. He will make you a better father. 
a better husband, a better friend, a better worker. He will make your life so much better. Stand at your feet. I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to sing a song in a moment. There's no doubt in my mind that the Spirit of God is in this room. We're going to open up the doors in a minute. If you have, if you have questions about what's next for you, your next steps are through those doors. I'll, I'll be there. Our prayer team will be there. If you have a prayer need, you can go to that room and we want to pray with you today. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. So let's talk about that commitment for a minute. The first question is, have you made it? Have you, like, made the initial commitment by giving your heart to Jesus, repenting of your sins, turning from the wrong in your life, giving your life to him as your savior and your king. Have you done that? I'm not gonna have anyone raise your hands today. But if you say this prayer, would you do me a favor when we open these doors? Would you walk in and talk to me or talk to somebody and just say, hey, I said that prayer with you? If you need to commit to Jesus today and you've never done it before, would you say this prayer? Would you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm far from you. But I want to be close. I want to commit to you today. I believe Jesus was your son. And he died on the cross to be my savior and my king. Come into my life. Save me. Forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I will do. Make me new again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And let's talk about that commitment. Mom, dad, family, single. How's that commitment going? Are you following Jesus every day or just on Sundays? Are you committed wholeheartedly to him? Are you serving him? Are you plugged in? Are you reading God's word? Are you talking to him? What's your relationship with him look like? Father, I thank you that you are worthy of my life. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that is broken today, I pray that they would realize that there is nothing broken in you.
And they would latch on to you. They would commit to you. That they would follow you. And that you would transform their life. Help us to walk alongside of them. To check in on them with their commitment. And to train them to train others to follow you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing another song and then we'll be dismissed.